Okay, howdy, and welcome to episode six of Cast Protection. Cast Protection is the podcast that discusses the Netflix original series Stranger Things. My name is Jonathan Kreitz, and I am joined by Dave Atterbury. Hey, everybody. How you doing? And Chris Tyler. Hello, all. Uh, you can reach us at castprotection at gmail.com. You can also reach us at Cast Protection on Twitter, and we have a Facebook group. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. We encourage you to do so. Uh, we did not receive any new ones this week, at least that I saw before we started recording. And we did, however, get an email into the Gmail account for the first time. But that one is uh, specifically about Episode 8, so we'll save that for that episode. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good. Doing great, doing great. Awesome, Thanks. awesome. What should I say? Well, I'm, gonna... I'm very well. Sorry, that's the substitute teacher in me coming out. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're well. How about that? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to get us into the synopsis here in just a second, and uh, we'll talk about this episode. Things have really started to, to pick up on Stranger Things, and this episode is great. So let's let's dive into the synopsis. Okay, in our opening, we, we begin immediately where we left off. Jonathan and Nancy are screaming for each other in the woods, Nancy's in the upside down, and so they can only hear echoes of each other. Nancy follows Jonathan's voice as it comes from the portal in the base of the tree, and with the monster stalking her, she'll need to risk being attacked to make it out. She does and makes it out with Jonathan's help just as the port closes behind her. So in the episode proper, Carol and Tommy give Steve a hard time as they drive over to Nancy's house. He wants to check on her as she seemed upset when they saw her earlier. He climbs up to her window just in time to see Jonathan comforting her in her bedroom. In Joyce's kitchen, Hop and Joyce go over what Hop saw in the laboratory. When he describes a crayon drawing, Joyce says that couldn't have been Will as his drawings were too good. This makes Hop connect the dots with the kid that was at Benny's Diner with the library research he had done earlier and the story of Terry Ives suing the government for kidnapping her child. Nancy can't stop reliving her misadventure in the Upside Down and is glad that Jonathan wants to spend the night. Neither of them want to be alone or to turn off the lights. The next morning, Mike takes out his frustration on Elle's pillow fort in the basement. Hop and Joyce head out to visit Terry Ives, and Jonathan awakes in Nancy's bedroom. She didn't sleep, but she's thinking of how to kill the Demogorgon. When Karen tries to come through the door without knocking, they both jump. They're scared. We cut to the woman who killed Benny in his diner, knocking on Mr. Clark's door. She is posing as a recruiter for a statewide AV club and asks if he knows anyone who'd be interested in joining. You know, like the same kids that might have used L and burnt up the radio at the middle school to channel Will from the Upside Down. Dustin arrives at Mike's house and proceeds to begin bringing <coughs> Mike and Lucas back together. As Mike pushed first, she has to initiate a handshake with Lucas. It's the rule of law. Otherwise, he'll be banished from the party. After that, they're going to go find Eleven. So we cut to Eleven being woken up in her bed at the lab. Brenner has brought her a flower and tells her today is the day we make contact. Then she wakes up in the woods. It was a nightmare of a memory she was having. In frustration and sadness at losing her friends, she blasts her reflection in a pond with her telekinesis. Back at Mike's house, Holly is eating pancakes, and Karen discovers that Nancy is gone, and it looks like she wasn't alone the night before. Mike and Dustin pull up to Lucas's house so Mike can apologize. Lucas agrees on the condition that they forget about Elle. 
Mike refuses and Dustin reminds them that splitting up the party on the bloodstone path got them all disabled. They need to stick together. Neither Lucas nor Mike will budge, so Lucas decides to go off looking for the gate on his own. Elle has walked out of the woods and into a grocery store. She's dirty, and she's actively using her power to listen psychically as she walks through the store. Everyone looking at her reminds her again of the day they quote-unquote made contact as the lab was full of people that day, also all looking at her. She steals an armload of Eggo waffles and uses her power to slam the front door on the mouth-breathing manager that tries to stop her. At the end of a gravel road, Hop and Joyce knock on the door of an old run-down house. They <clears throat> they came to speak to Terry Ives and are told that they're five years too late if they want answers. They meet Terry, but she doesn't respond to any of their questions. Lucas has a cool suit-up moment and starts off on his bike to find the gate. He waves at an electrician in the street, the same one that was investigating the radio at the school. Mike and Dustin are also riding, and Dustin explains to Will the logic of being best friends and that Lucas is just upset because Mike started giving Elle so much attention instead of Lucas. Mike sees his point, but insists that Dustin and Will are his best friends, too. They, <clears throat> they ride to the grocery store, and they recognized Elle's handiwork. Back at Terry's house, the sister gives Hop and Joyce a big exposition dump about Terry's involvement with MK Ultra, sensory deprivation tanks, and the like. She also tells them that Terry's baby died in the third trimester. Terry insists that she was born and that she had special abilities, you know, like in a Stephen King book. <laughs> Lucas has made it to the lab property, but his compass indicates that he needs to move further down the fence. In town, Nancy and Jonathan go to the sporting goods store to buy material for their hunt. Outside, someone tells Nancy they can't wait to see her movie. Over on Main Street, through downtown Hawkins, Steve and his friends have spray-painted that Nancy is a slut on the marquee. She confronts Steve, and Jonathan convinces her to leave. But that's when Steve picks a fight with Jonathan by calling him and his whole family screw-ups, saying that it's no shock to anyone in town that they lost Will. Jonathan turns and punches Steve, which escalates into a real fight. Hop's deputies arrive, and in the scuffle, Jonathan hits one of them in the nose. He's arrested as Steve gets away. Hop and Joyce leave Terry and Joyce Terry's house, and Joyce is down. She has just seen a vision of her future if she loses Will. Hop tells her they're close, that he would give anything for a chance to get his daughter back, anything. Callahan radios in to ask Hop if he's seen Joyce. They had to arrest Jonathan Byers. At the police station, Nancy gets ice for Will, and the office assistant tells Nancy that only love makes you fight like that. Nancy helps Jonathan ice, uh, ice, ice Jonathan's face, but she can't look at him directly. In the forest, Elle munches the Eggo waffles she stole and hears Mike and Dustin yelling for her. At the same time, Mike and Dustin are confronted by Troy and his friend, and Troy has a knife. Mike and Dustin run, and Lucas finally finds a part of the fence he needs to get through and climbs a tree to get a better view. He sees army trucks at the lab, as well as a whole group of vans like the one parked in front of his house. Meanwhile, Mike and Dustin have run down the quarry road, but Troy cuts them off. He grabs Dustin and tells Mike to jump off the cliff into the lake, or he'll cut Dustin's mouth. Mike goes to the edge of the cliff and jumps. Troy and Dustin run to the edge of the cliff, and they see Mike come flying back over the edge and onto the road. It's Elle. She breaks Troy's arm, and he runs. Something about Dustin screaming triggers her memory again, and she's back in her mindscape on the day they made contact. She sees the Demogorgon in the distance and slowly walks up to it. And when she touches it, it turns on her and screams. 
The power she is letting loose in the tank at that time sends the lab into red alert and rips a huge fissure in the wall. Mike wakes her up on the road, and she apologizes for opening the gate that she's the monster. Mike tells her that's crazy, that she saved him, and they embrace. As they exit the forest back into Mike's neighborhood, they are observed by the same technician or operative that was in front of Lucas's house. He radios in their position. At the lab, Brenner and his team arm themselves for battle and load up to ride to Hawkins. Mike and the others are oblivious, and that is the end of Chapter 6. So there you go. Yeah, it's, uh, oh boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. Lot. No, yeah. things escalated quickly in this episode. Well, there's only two episodes left after this. they got to do something. Uh, yeah. yeah. This, um, there is a lot of uh, exposition dump, but it's uh, it's about time for uh, some of that to start coming back into play. But e- even without the expositional uh, portions of it, there's enough going on with the uh, the friends all coming back together uh, that I rewatching this one. I uh, the scenes without the kids are good. They're really good, and you need them. But I was just I was waiting for like, all right, get back to the kids, get back to the kid. This is the I wanted to see them all get back together. You know, that's the thing. And it's yeah. it's still it's just they're not quite there yet. But seeing the stuff that was going on with the the four of them is really what was driving uh, me during the rewatch of this. Yeah, no doubt. I agree. I, um, and I think most people binge watch the show and I definitely, these last four or five episodes just watch one after another. So it was great actually to come back and, you know, watch them again because they kind of all bled together the last time, the first time I watched it, you know, so seeing it on, you know, this one by one kind of way, I was able to appreciate more the anticipation of like you're right, getting the group back together and even um Nancy and Jonathan, you know, making it to the police station and and how it's all really starting to come together. Um but let's talk about that opening real quick. That, it was really intense. Like yeah. I, my wife, I've tried to convince Kristen to watch it a few times to watch the show. She doesn't like scary things. And she's like, is it scary? I'm like, well, I mean, we, we used to love Lost and shows like that. I would say it's actually on par with some of the more scary parts of a show like Lost or X-Files or something like that. Then when we watch this episode, I'm like, well, the first, like, ten minutes of this episode <laughs> were pretty intense. Yeah, it's, um, well, I mean, it's, it, we've already, they've already shown on the show that they're willing to go places that other shows aren't. So, I mean, you don't... It, the first time watching this, you don't know what's going to happen to Nancy. I mean, she could very well end up, you know, dying at this point. We just, we don't know. And yeah. I mean, it's, they don't go there, but there is a legitimate fear of another character that you've become attached to, especially since she's kind of taking an active role at this point. You don't know what's going to happen with her. And it's, it's a struggle for her to get back to the real world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I exactly right. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if she's going to make it. Um, and it's really just kind of by her own luck. But I actually like, as far as the characters go, I would say, I, I don't know. I'm not sure which ones are my favorite, per se. I really like the Nancy character. Um, she... yeah. 
she uh, there's something about her that <laughs> she's very brave obviously um i don't know there's something about her that she she's i want to say she's a man of action but she kind of is you know well it's i think it comes back to the the disaffected middle class youth thing she's you know for the beginning of the season she's striking out to kind of push her boundaries with what her family's willing to let her do and she does that with steve but then this happens and it seems like that i mean that pretty much falls away it's it's all about her goal once barb is gone is trying to find barb and when they realize there's an actual monster out there her goal is we need to stop this thing and it's i don't know it's the this I mean, yeah, deciding to give up your virginity to your boyfriend is one way of self-actualization. Deciding to go and get a bear trap and fire <laughs> firearms to stop a monster is a completely different level of self-actualization. Yeah. Um, you know, it. I guess both of them are would be ways of describing her as coming into womanhood, uh, you know, yeah. physically and then um, just in terms of responsibility. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, she. Uh, it's hard for I'll have to think about a better way to to word it, but that's good because uh, over the course of the show, I really liked her arc, her character. I, uh, I like Nancy. I think she's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a good opening. I, mean, I think it was probably the shortest one to the opening yeah. credits. Yeah, it's by pretty, far, but it's it was pretty quick. Yeah, but you it know, was what's a, funny. You know, I, <laughs> When I watched it the first time, because it is so intense, and I guess it, it, if you combine it with the end of the previous episode, it's a little bit of a longer scene, but True. True. Um, it seemed longer than it was. Yeah, in hindsight, watching it again, I was like, oh, yeah, it really wasn't that long. In my mind, it seemed like she was stuck there for a lot longer trying to get out, you know? Uh, moves pretty swiftly. It's just a couple of minutes of her in the uh, the upside down, and then it's mm-hmm. Jonathan flashing the light for her so she can get out of the uh, the portal. Mm. Right. Mm. That's yeah. um, one thing too, and I don't think they really really explain it. Um, even in the next few episodes, is are these portals to the upside down random? Can the Demogorgon generate them as it mm. needs to? You know, because we see it close up. Like once she gets out, it it closes. So it yeah. seems like if when the Demogorgon wants to come through, it can just break through wherever it needs to. You know, if it smells blood or whatever. Well, I, I've sort of got a theory on that, but it kind of ties into something I want to say for a later episode. Okay. All right. And well, I'll and I'll bring it into like at the end of this episode when we get to okay. that scene. But there's a. Uh, I have I have a thought about that when you ask that question. So right. um, make a mental note. Make a mental note. Yeah, but no, I, I'm with you. I like I like uh, Nancy's character arc a lot. Um, again, I think it's one of the strengths of the this uh, long form storytelling. Like just you know, like the fact that they they show her able to like take the time to try to process what happened to be scared. Um, Whereas if this was more, if they'd done, you know, Stranger Things in the movie, they probably wouldn't have had any time to stop for a while and, and show her being, you know, scared out of her wits. But, um. Yeah, but it's, I mean, that it's that fear that also leads her to something switching on in her head to look at her science book, you know, and look, at, yeah. look up the information yeah. about Shaq. So, 
It's yeah. uh, it was it's a good scare. It uh, it helped to uh, bring some some stuff to light that I mean we've kind of speculated on, but mm-hmm. it, you know she postulates that theory that it's you know the blood that is pulling the creature towards right. getting everybody. Well, that was yeah, a great line. That... Oh, go oh, ahead, yeah. go ahead, Dave. Well, I was just saying that that's one of the lines I liked in the episode was when when she points out to Jonathan that they don't know anything, that they that they they're really that they are flying blind. You know, it basically leaves her sleepless, almost more so than the what happened to her, and you know, which leads her, you know, like you said, Hero, to to try to research and come up with a theory of what's going on, because they're they're literally flying blind. Well, I didn't make a note of that scene, but I actually really like that scene as well, where. You know, it's one thing to show your character being scared by putting them in a uh, an upside-down alternate dimension with a monster chasing him. It's another thing, and probably a more relatable thing, to show them, you know, they're afraid to turn the lights off. They're afraid to go to sleep yeah. because of what they've just experienced. You know, I thought that was a, definitely a, a good scene between them as well. Yeah. Well, they didn't have that... Um you know, if you liken it back to your kind of typical 80s horror movie, um, they don't have the character in their story that's conveniently telling them about the monster, what the rules of the monster are, and how to deal with it. So they 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 have to go on their own. Yeah. They have only each other to rely on. So, yeah, that was I, I like that. That was the highlight of the, the episode for me was just there. <laughs> Laying in bed. You want to turn the lights off? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was good. It's really good. Well, and that kind of leads us, you know, to Hop and Joyce and and going mm-hmm. to see Terry Ives. And I made a note here that you know we've really praised Hop's story arc, and especially as I've watched rewatched the last few episodes, I mean, his is probably the most most complete story out of this whole thing. Um, hmm. it's just really great. But did he put the dots together a little too easily on the kid that he's actually been chasing is L and not Will? Or do you think it's just, you know, okay that he's a smart yeah. guy? He, you know, he's kind of, there's been enough going on. I, I think in, in the, when he sees the drawing that Will did, I think that's, you know, the final nail there. It's, uh, you know, if that had been a stick figure drawing, I think the experience he had in the basement of the lab, he, you know, he's going to remember every yeah. piece of what he saw there. Um, it, it's, um, oh, now I'm stumbling uh, for words myself. Yeah. I, it, even if it's a mild, mildly convenient, it's still the fact that he did the research in the library earlier on in the season. Right. The fact right. that he does call back to the first episode with, uh, you know, finding out that Benny had seen a kid with no hair in his diner. It, yeah. All those things do start to come together. And it's, you know, it, it, you know, with Jonathan ending up in the police station, it's those, those yeah. parts, those two parts out of the three main storylines that are going finally get smashed together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you're right. And I think there's an aspect too, where, Hop is actually probably a much higher quality police officer than your average like small town chief of police. Yeah, well he was a city he, but cop. he's right, but he yeah. and he probably was a good one. 
Um, but he obviously he's here because of everything that's happened to him. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess his skills probably are are greater than just like your average your average guy that might be in the job like that. Yeah, um, he's, he's not Andy Griffith. He's a cop that that had a career somewhere else that was probably far more exciting. Yeah, uh, you know, and now he has to take his previous experience and put it to work in something that's far more intriguing than probably anything he had to deal with before. Well, and I really like how he's written in that. I mean, it's a, it's a total cop thing, but whenever they're talking to anyone, he's always asking a question that's going to get him more information. Like Mm -hmm. always, whether they're talking to the the boys or like when they go to Terry Ives house and they're talking to the sister, you know, Joyce is doing most of the talking at first and he kind of is standing back, just lobbing in little questions along the edge of whatever the sister is saying to, to get more, you know, to, to lead them to that next part. And it's really well done. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he gives another great performance. I know one of the things I, I it's, it may be weird, but I kind of, kind of love about it is the, is the smoking, you know, it's it's just kind of funny because that was just such so it was just more prevalent, you know, common in the older '80s movies and TV yeah. shows and stuff. And it's just funny how much mileage they get out of it. And I don't know if it's just standing out to me because it's not typically in movies and TV shows anymore. But I don't know. It's just there's just something funny about it. like when he's sitting around and him and Joyce are just you know they're they're. <laughs> puffing away and they're smoking and they're and they're kind of having their little freak out together at the yeah, table. Yeah, they're shaking. You know? Yeah. You know what I mean? And just the way he, like, when he's on the phone and he's got a cigarette hanging out the corner of his mouth, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's a little bit of that hard-boiled detective type uh, storytelling, you know. No doubt. There, there's, I don't know what the phrase is you'd say for it. There's great smoke acting or <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah, the phrase is for that. Was... But they, they do really, Joyce does too. I, yep. I think it's maybe yeah. in the the beginning of the last episode yeah, he has a really good moment. I noticed even then watching it where he he's smoking. But yeah, you're right. I hadn't really thought about it that way. But it's, it's one of the easiest lot. props to give an actor too. Act, sure, you know, that's the thing. You don't know what to yeah. do with your hands when you're acting. You give somebody a cigarette, you know what to do. <laughs> so, yeah, and and I'm not a cigarette smoker, but you know they do look cool. Yeah, yeah neither am I. Well, you know, it's funny, and that was in, in the, when I was thinking about it, noticing it when he was sitting there on the phone smoking. Can we just give a little shout out to the to the awesomeness of a of a phone booth on the side of the road? Oh yeah, <laughs> what the, what the like, hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> what a relic of a bygone era. Indeed, I, I can't. Does uh, anybody remember the last time they actually saw a paid phone booth anywhere? Why well, we were downtown Denver this summer, and they had one up out in front of an old power, but like as a display, like as like a museum piece. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and I literally like, we, we showed it to our kids, like, look kids, what's that? And they, well, what is that? You know, like, you know, I said, it's a, it's a dressing booth for Superman. <laughs> they didn't, you know, they didn't know what they were looking at. So yeah. I mean, the last time I even fun. saw the, the little kiosk for one that was up in a, uh, like a, a shopping plaza, it didn't even have the phone in it anymore. It was just the, you know, the three, the three sides that would have housed the phone <laughs> and mm-hmm. nothing else. 
Was there still like a half a half uh, half a phone book hanging there? No, it was nothing. It was just that like you took the phone out. Why didn't you take out the three sides that housed the thing? That's funny. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, I um, I can't think of the last time I saw one, and I never, I don't know. I was just old enough by the time that I was just the right age by the time that I really needed to, to be able to call my parents if I need to. I mean, I use payphones sometimes, but uh, I definitely, you know, got a cell phone. Yeah. But cell phones were even different back then. Even when I went to college, I was still buying like phone cards and stuff like that mm. to be able to call long distance and i don't know it was a much yeah. different time oh yeah well that's i didn't get my first cell phone till i got married and i actually married into it i got my wife's cell phone because i was oh, too nice. poor to have one but yeah i know and that was the thing i thought of watching that that scene with the phone booth like i it's one of the things um you know, I, I like to read books. I, I daydream about writing a book. I think anybody that loves to read thinks about it from time to time. And sure. one of the things I've de- I've always decided on, if I ever wrote a screenplay or a book, I'd probably write it in the 80s or older just because, you know, I like the fact that they have to stop and find a phone to make a call. Um, they don't have the Internet. They have to go research. It kind of slows down the story a bit. It's it's one of those things that's kind of cliche in TV and stories now, you know, where somebody can just kind of, you know, yeah. internet it up real fast. And uh, I like when people have to, like, search and it takes a little – Well, part of the other the reason they got to use bit. the payphone is everything in Hawkins is bugged. That yes. True. they got to get true. away from any listening yeah. ears. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and but I, I like I, that. You know what I mean? You know like what? I didn't think about that, Chris. But you're right. And Hop's the one that's like super paranoid about it. Yeah. <laughs> when you find a bug in your house. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But I, you know what I'm saying though. I just kind of like that it, 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 you know, it, it puts a little more mystery in the world that it all hasn't been Google mapped yet, and everything isn't just a couple clicks away. You know. Yeah, it's one of those things that when they did the remake of uh, Friday the 13th, they had to intentionally say that there was no cell coverage where the kids were all getting killed because exactly. cell phone and satellite and GPS, like you can't, it's just it's just not a thing anymore. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. So. Speaking of uh, audiovisual stuff, um, who who else thought that Mr. Clark was about to catch a bullet to the brain when that uh, the the gunman from the or gunwoman I should say oh, I don't know what the yeah. best term for her the assassin for the government showed up the creepy old government lady yeah yeah I know she 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 reminded me of the the creepy old lady from Cloak and Dagger you know just oh, wow. That's a you know what I mean yeah. yeah just something kind of off like you know she really plays that kind of creepy yeah the dead eyes you know yeah. That untrustworthy type of like you know government assassin type mm-hmm. character, yeah, yeah. Poor Mister Clark. I, if, yeah, if he hadn't if he hadn't had to give our boys some more exposition later in the story, he probably would have got got would have got whacked right there. I would have been very upset with this show if Mister Clark got killed. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Well, and I guess what we really come to find out is I think they're in damage control mode right now, trying to keep it all contained. Yeah. So yeah. they probably, they probably, he probably actually was safe because it's one less thing they'd have to cover up or 
Yeah. You know, whatever. But, um, yeah, and the, you know, this is titled The Monster, Chapter 6, The Monster. And mm. so we finally made it to the part of the story where Elle's memories that help explain what has happened, you know, start to come out. So I guess the one thing I, and I don't think it's, I think it's a little ambiguous and it could go, I, I don't know if it even matters, but is she repressing, has she repressed these memories? Like as we see them, is she remembering them for the first time? Cause they all seem pretty recent. You know, she looks about the same age and that kind of thing. Yeah. Or, or is it just, you know, she's she's remembering them then because they play into what she's experiencing at the moment and she's just been keeping it a secret from her friends because yeah i I think it's more the keeping it a secret track i mean she was ready to keep them from going into the gate last episode that's right right i I mean and i guess you have to look at it from her perspective she's out in the real world she knows there's bad stuff out there not only in the real world but with the monster that's there she's aware of all that but she's in a place now where she has friends that aren't, you know, judging her. You know, well, some of them are Lucas's, but if you're a small child yeah. that never had anything but, you know, your evil papa who wants you to, you know, kill people and, you yeah. know, is putting you into a tank and doing stuff to you, and now you're getting some modicum of sanity humanity yeah yeah would you you know it's not really gonna be the first yeah hey you know that gate uh that you're looking for i opened it and i released the monster by touching him not Mm. gonna be Mm. your lead yeah right well it's funny it's funny too you bring up like the her problem with lucas because when i rewatched this episode i kind of because of the title i kind of thought uh well there's not very much of the monster in this episode with it being titled the monster and then I realized that, you know, one of the big underpinnings of this episode is the little green monster jealousy. Oh. You know, you you kind of see like how like Jonathan and Steve being jealous over Nancy is a big part of this, this episode. And like you got Lucas and Eleven and Mike and they're again, their triangle over a woman and how that kind of ties in. And, and even in, I guess to a certain extent, you know, you got Dr. Brenner and his trying to jealously keep 11 all locked up in a way and, and, and all those kind of things are, are pushing this, you know, pushing everybody's motivations of the things that they did, you know, Brenner in the past and our characters right now in the, in the current time. So that was kind of one of my little, I don't know, one of my takeaways from this episode. I, I did, so. Honestly, I, I only thought it was okay. They show the monster and Elle thinks of herself as the monster, but the, the jealousy right. aspect of it is a, is a great point. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that is a good observation. It's, it's not subtle. They Dustin lays it all out. Exactly, and that he and trust me, he helped me get there with his with his uh, his Obi Wan wisdom in this episode. You know, with all his great great lines that he has going on, such so, as uh, "Never split up the party." Yes, and I don't need my baby teeth, Mike. <laughs> in the midst of all that horror, he's still yeah. funny. <laughs> he's, 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 he, this is probably his best, single best episode, I think. Yeah, um, no, this is a, he's great in this episode. Yeah. Um, and I did use the phrase exposition dump to describe Terry's sister and that whole part. Mm-hmm. And I, and, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit already. One thing we didn't mention, but I and I really did like though, was that they made the decision 
to not have Terry speak. And I think that's good because I felt like it raised the stakes for Joyce. You know, it was already, things were already bad enough. Her son is missing. But it's like, this is what she's going to become one day if she didn't get her son back. You know? Oh, yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah, it's, uh, it's frightening. Um, and it's, it, like you said, it's really not even so much an exposition dump. It's, here's the final piece that, Joyce and Hop need to to connect those dots. Right. You know, it's mm-hmm. right. It's just. Uh, I mean, it's for their benefit more so than ours. Well, and that's what I mean. Obvi- and then Hop even says something along those lines, like, you know, the sister obviously thought it was all nonsense, but yeah. what she doesn't know is, like Hop says, after all this time, you know, Elle is there. She's out there. And yeah. so the same thing could be for Will, you know, we can't give up, you know, there's a good chance he could come back too. So no, that was a, that was a really good scene between them. I like, uh, the, all the scenes with Hop and Joyce, I think are pretty good. Yeah. I, I really like that actress. They don't, I don't think they gave her a name for, for Terry oh, Isaac's sister. sister. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think so either. And if I was a better podcast. I tried to look up the actress's name, but <laughs> I really, I don't know, there's there's something about her, just the way she looked and acted and performed it again. Maybe it's a cigarette, I don't know. But she felt like to me like she literally just like walked off the set of an eighties movie and into well, the she show. She was burning her heaters one after one off the other. She, yeah, she didn't yeah. let the cigarette get out of her mouth. Yeah, she she was a it was a great uh, you know, kind of cameo part there. She did yeah. a really great job in that scene. So yeah. Um, so the next part I had a note here was about, uh, was about, you know, we said how much we like Nancy and Jonathan and them working together and that whole part from them going to get their hunting gear to, you know, going to confront Steve and the gang at the movie theater. Mm. Um, <laughs> I said in the notes that it was to me, like it could have been an homage to the classic fight from They Live, <laughs> where they're in an alley, you know, they're nice. they're punching, yeah. they're rolling. Um, it wasn't anything as intense as that, obviously, but you know, be about a, five a show full longer. of yeah, <laughs> of course. But uh, man, Jonathan actually like puts the whooping on Steve. Yes. I was actually surprised by that, but he really, really beat his face in. There's a yeah. lot more than just his tension with Steve coming out with that. That's right. Just, I mean, that's the situation. The last, you know, however long it's been, week or whatever it is, just all yeah. coming out of him. Well, yeah. I mean, you could say yeah. it was even. I mean, Jonathan doesn't have that much going for him. You know, he wants to go to NYU. I, I doubt that's in the cards for him right now. You know, he's yeah. got a bad situation with his dad. You know, he's got. A lot of he's working in high school to provide for the family too, and yeah. so yeah, yeah, I agree. There, there was a lot of frustration coming out there. Well, I think it was a smart uh, story writing direction to go to have Jonathan actually win this confrontation. You know, whereas you know he basically lost the last one yeah. with with Steve, and it kind of I like that it kind of um, I at least I felt that it it kind of pulled Nancy a little more kind of tugs her between them because Steve's obviously in the wrong. He did something wrong. Jonathan now is basically like called him on it, smacked him around for it. And so 
you know, you see in the next scene, Nancy, you know, gets pointed, it gets pointed out to her, hey, this, this boy, this boy's obviously in love with you. And so now she's got choices and she has to choose between these guys. And so I think it was a, a better call to, because I kind of expected, I was like, oh crap, you know, poor Jonathan's going to get, he's going to stick up for Nancy and probably get his face beat in by these two dudes. Nope. So, <laughs> no, and it was awesome. I, trust me, I enjoyed it, but, uh, yeah, I was a little surprised by it. So I, I think it was a better, a better story writing decision for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Well, um, the, the, the final act, I guess, of, this episode is the confrontation with Troy and similar to the beginning. It's a very intense. Um, I actually thought it was going to bring Lucas and L back to Dustin um, and, and Mike, but it really would just end up being L because they were all in the same part of the woods at the same time. I guess I kind of thought maybe, you know, Mike and Dustin, I mean, Mike and Lucas haven't made up yet. Maybe this would be how they made up, you know, he comes yeah. to help, but it's L that saves the day in spectacular fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the only thing I thought about this, and even after rewatching, I was still as 100% sure, what is Mike thinking when he jumps off the cliff? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to like nitpick this show. I mean, does he know L is on the road and is going to catch him? No, I think um, that's. I don't think he did. I think that's my. One of my best friends has a knife to his throat. I I, I can't let that happen. And it's, right. it's it's the kind of thing that only a only makes sense if you're if twelve you're years older. Yeah, I, and I right. think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and maybe yeah. you thought maybe I don't know maybe he was it might be a stretch maybe he was thinking that you know, um, you know they they took Will out of the same uh, quarry there you know they took they, oh, yeah. they and maybe maybe he thought okay maybe. Maybe I can make this, you know, maybe I can survive this fall. Yeah, and I don't think they were all the way up, I mean, from the highest part, because they were, you know, on this downhill road or whatever, so it's still, I think it it looked pretty high. That that (laughs) crane shot makes it abundantly clear. That's your... your, Super high. Unless you land in the water, which it's not a straight drop into, you're you're dead. Yeah, right. So, no, it was definitely a a leap of faith for him to jump off there, but... It was really cool that that El caught him, and you know she looked uh, oh, she looked pretty <laughs> pretty mean coming up the road, you know, telling them to get out of there. So yeah, she Millie Brown really, I mean, she's like a silent movie star. You know, most of her acting is without dialogue and all on her face, and that's a great moment. It's funny when I was listening to the soundtrack, like that's one of the standout tracks. It's called "She'll She'll Kill You." Yeah, and, oh, and, you, yeah. And, it's one of the, and it's one of those ones where like another you, great you, Dustin line. Yeah, <laughs> it, you, you can, and when you hear it play, like it's one of those tracks. Like when you hear it outside of the show, you can tell like it. it oh yeah, I remember this moment where she comes up the road, just you know, and uh, you know, kicking ass and taking names. That's so. right. And, it, and that's the thing with the the violence in this. It's there's a little bit of, of gore in this, but not too much. It's never, um, you know, above and beyond. You know. Anything more than like a PG-13. When she breaks his arm, the sound effect there is so mm. horrific. It has so much impact because, mm. like, yeah, we know that she can move stuff with her mind. You may be expecting her to just you know push them away, 
or something like that. It's not. No, she's <laughs> after the the flashback she's had and the situation that she's in. It's not that, and she's not going to make him pee himself again. She's she's breaking his arm, and that's it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great one-up to their last confrontation. You know, basically yeah. showing him, hey, you know, I let you off easy with the pee pee. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, uh, I'll bring it up now just because I don't want to fully explain it until like the, I think two episodes from now. But I, I, one to remember is her little line directly after that where she kind of collapses and she says, you know, I'm the monster. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I have an idea germinating about possibly there's a connection between her and the monster. Well, and I've thought similar. I've thought similarly, especially as I finished the rewatch. Like, yeah, there, there's something, and I don't think they give you. Well, we can talk about it as we go along, but to me, there's not quite enough there, at least for me, to be able to say anything definitively. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely some connection between her and the Demogorgon, right? In a lot of different ways, and so we'll, we'll have to talk about that. You know. Yeah, it's definitely um, enough there that, you know, I'm sure that's going to be what's hit on in the next season as as part of it. Um, Right. Even, you know, even without any sort of direct connection or anything like that, she does feel like the monster. They've, you know, Brenner and everybody Mm -hmm. in Hawkins' lab has essentially turned her into a monster. She's not a human being. She doesn't get to see the sunlight. She's being made into a weapon. She's a weapon. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, it's when she collapses and says she's the monster, like you, you understand why she'd say that. And well, yeah. and she just broke another kid's arm. Not that that guy didn't have it coming, but I mean, yeah. she's not afraid to deal, and we'll see a lot more. She's not afraid to deal out violence, you know. No, and it's not the first time. I mean, she kills at least one guy when she blows the door off the cell earlier. Oh yeah, I think it. she I mean, killed she, them both. She, I mean, mm-hmm. she, the one guy's neck is definitely snapped. The other yeah. guy, most likely, you know, from the impact into the wall, yeah, he's, he's not dead, jelly. he's not walking again. So right. It's, she's, yeah, it's, but again, that's what they've turned her into. So how sure. else would you react? Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. I'm, I'm excited to get to the last two episodes. It just, you know, it took me a long time to, to work on these, uh, synopsis because there's just so much here at the very end of the show just so much going on even compared to the earlier stuff um i guess the only last note i had was in the previous episode steve wanted nancy to go see all the right moves with him and that's what's on the marquee when they write that nancy the slut wheeler is also in all the right moves and spray paint up on the marquee um have you ever y'all seen that movie Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have. I, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and I remember liking it for all the football stuff. I liked it for I, one scene and one scene only. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Leah Thompson. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, I, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it, it kind of ties in the show, and the only way I could think of would be that, you know, sometimes living in a small town, especially if you're talented or, Something like that, you know, can be hard, I guess. But, uh, you know, they just they just went out of their way to let you know that's the movie that we're talking about here. You know, all the right moves. Gotcha. So, 
<laughs> and uh, was it is it this episode or the next that does not have score over the sound over the end credits? Because I know it's either mm-hmm. this one or the next one. Uh, I think it was this one. Yeah. Well, you think I was gonna say I think it was the next one. Wow. I, I remember was which it? one. I mean, I remember like I was watching it and then skipping. You know, on Netflix you can just you know skip the credits. But you're right. One of these two definitely didn't have any. Was totally silent over the credits. Yeah, mm. a big departure from. Yeah. What it well, not totally silent. If you you hear very creepy, monstery, squishy goo goo. Yeah, now. there's monster noises, but it's there's no yeah. there's no. Uh, sourced, yeah, it's source audio. It's yeah. not a, a pop yeah. song or an orchestral track. Yeah, right, right. Um, I think the only note I had left was I just, I just love. Hey, when you're gonna go kick some ass, eighty style, you need a bandana. So of course, yeah. From yeah, band- Lucas's little suit up moment was pretty cool. Rambo, Karate Kid, you know. There you go. Yeah, yeah it's that was, yeah, that was great. <laughs> It, that, and that man Lucas is absolutely fearless. Oh yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I mean, he's on his own and and he's not scared. Um, and I that was a really cool scene too, actually, where it just shows, you know, these kids are smart. He climbs up in the tree to scope out the situation and immediately realizes, hey, they've got a whole, you know, squadron of these move, you know. Yeah. work vans, the same one that's parked in my driveway, the same one that was at school, you know, he yeah. puts it together right away that something bad is going on here. Yeah. Just coming, coming back to just the last thing I could think of with, with Lucas. I mean, earlier in the season, he's a, you know, knife from Nam, binoculars from Nam. I wonder, you know, it's, it, <laughs> we never see his family other than at the funeral, mm-hmm. but you have to wonder, I mean, his father would probably have been the right age to have served, so, yeah, well, that's what I, I figured. Yeah, I wonder if that's you know, he's got a you know an ex-military for a you know a, a parental figure, you know that he's you know he's not a bad kid. He's that kid is probably you know this is how you ought to be a man. You know, there's got to be something more to it. You know, it's never mm-hmm. expounded upon, but I think you glean enough from what they throw out there with his attitude and the fact that he's clearly got some family members' items from Nam. You know, mm-hmm. goes a long way towards explaining how he is the way he is. Well, and he uh, in his bedroom, he even had an American flag above his bed. Oh, I can't you know, so that. I, yeah, so I, I I totally buy into that. Either his dad served there, or his uncles, or something, and and that's whose gear he has there. I I buy that. Mm. Yeah, and that's just like a very subtle detail, but this show's full of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it doesn't have to hold. <laughs> also. Your hand. Also, I think last episode I asked you guys, did you did you see the poster I'm talking about that is in the basement? It's black and white, and it's kind of above one of the couches. It's a hawk. It's uh-huh. a, I I googled it and and it's definitely like a hawk kind of perched on a rock or a tree limb or something, but it's black and white. But just without hmm. being focused on, I don't know. It just it just had a it just had a weird look to it to me that it just reminded me of the of the Demogorgon when its mouth is all closed, but mm, obviously it's okay. not anything like that. Gotcha. Well, the town is Hawkins, so I mean, hey, you know, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's the only oh. connection that's needed. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um. Well, 
that was what I had for this episode. Do you guys have anything else, or just looking forward to the next one? Just looking forward to the next one at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The brain. Yeah, this of, is definitely this is definitely where it's like, okay, play the next one. Play the yeah. next one. Yeah. Play the next <laughs> one. The brakes have been cut. It's uh, full steam. <laughs> yep. This, yeah. this is a little less than two hours to go, and plot threads are actually intertwining at this point. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, you can reach us at castprotection at gmail.com, at castprotection on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook. We um, would also ask you to write us an iTunes review if you can. Hopefully, uh, we'll have some more here shortly. And if you do, we'll read them on the air. So thanks for listening, and I guess we'll tune in next time. We'll talk about Episode 7. Thanks, guys. See you, mouth breathers. Mouth breathers. (laughs) There's your end tag. (laughs) My life is likened to a bargain store And I may have just what you're looking for If you don't mind the fact that all the merchandise is used but with a little mending, it could be as good as new. Why you take, for instance, if you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.